0: and welcome to this episode of Unfinished, Unpublished. This is a programme that celebrates projects that have never been finished or that never made it out into the world. This week, my guest is a writer called Rachel Shaw. I'm especially grateful that Rachel agreed to speak to me because she's here to talk about the blog that she started after being diagnosed with breast cancer. The blog details her experience, and she'll be reading two extracts from it for us today. The extracts are both vivid, detailed, and honest. Rachel also tells me about how having cancer has taught her to embrace everything that she can in life. And I have to say, that really comes across in her energy and enthusiasm. She was brilliant to talk to. At the time we recorded our interview, Rachel hadn't published her blog, fitting in with our theme. Now, though, Rachel has done some more work on it, and you can find it at inmysecondlife.com and just a reminder that if you have an unfinished or unpublished project that you'd like to talk about you can contact me M. anderson at unfinished.unpublished at gmail.com are you wearing headphones no should i be do you have some handy uh
1: yes yeah. I, um, I thought I was clever having my laptop plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking ahead there, Rach.
0: My guest this week is Rachel Shaw. She is a writer. Rachel wrote avidly as a child and into her early 20s. She did a degree in English at Nottingham Trent University, where she composed a novella for her dissertation. She then had a long break from writing until she was diagnosed with cancer two years ago. Rachel has taught English for nearly 10 years. She lives in Derbyshire with her husband and her two perfect children, who are seven and three. Now, Rachel is healthy and says that she is trying her best to appreciate life. Welcome to the programme, Rachel. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, I'm always very curious when guests have little projects from the past that come up almost in passing. And I'm very intrigued by the novella that you wrote for your degree. Can I ask? Can you remember what that was about? Yeah, um, well, (laughs) I hadn't thought, I'd forgotten that I'd
1: mentioned it to you. That's how, just it's tiny in the back of my mind. And so I just saw that you were going to ask about it. And yeah, it was, it was about friendship. It was like a first person, it was a male (laughs) character and he was kind of reflecting on a school, school school-aged friendship that had ended because it sounds really bizarre, but it had ended because his friend had joined a cult. And so I really enjoyed like doing research into people who got swept away into these, into these cults and that kind of thing. And yeah, I'm just trying to remember. (laughs) It's a really long time ago, but I find it so interesting that like you say, that's, I did write that. It was a thing, it was bound. I shared it, it got marked. And at the time I was really proud of it, but I don't think about it anymore.
0: Did you share it just with the person marking it or did you try and uh, share it with friends or get it published or anything like that?
1: I definitely didn't try to get it published. And did who did I share it with? I probably shared it with one or two friends. but I was very, very self-conscious about it. It was actually about a friend from like uni time. So I kind of had to be careful about who I was sharing it with because I was putting quite a lot of my opinions into it. But yeah, and actually I tried to find it not that long ago when we moved house um, and I can't find it. So it could be completely, maybe it was finished, but definitely unpublished. And it could also be lost (laughs) somewhere in a box.
0: That would be quite exciting to discover one day. I think that would be really fun to come back to it and just find and remind yourself what you'd written. I know.
1: And imagine if it was really, really good. Yeah, (laughs) I'm
0: sure it is. I don't think so. (sighs) Was... The profession of being a writer something that you aspired to as a young person?
1: I don't think it was you know I just I think I always just loved doing it so I can remember looking through the course documents of my degree and seeing that there were creative writing modules and I just was so excited because it hadn't really occurred to me that that was a thing I could do and probably like most people who do an English degree I dabbled with like publishing and journalism not doing them. I just thought about them. <laughs> but I somehow ended up in a bank and then as a teacher. So no, it wasn't really. And I don't, it doesn't motivate me now, the idea of of having something published and earning any money from it or anything like that. I did, um, I dabbled with the TES, you know, the Tynes Educational Supplement. A friend works for them and she asked me to write something about being a teacher and being off having cancer treatment. And I wrote something. I think they asked for around 700 words and I think and I wrote around that and I was really proud of this article that I'd written about how I had to approach sick leave and how it felt and what the options that I had and that kind of thing but then they edited it beyond recognition and then I noticed after that that all the articles that are published on that I mean it's brilliant I love it it's a really helpful resource but they definitely have a really routine structure to the the little articles that they have. And so that, and they pay you a really small amount to publish those articles, but I didn't find it enjoyable in the end. I think I did three and then I was in the process of doing a slightly longer one, which actually I probably would have had a bit more freedom with. But by then I was a bit fed up of writing about cancery stuff and education stuff. So I stopped doing that, but yeah, it doesn't, no, it's never really appealed to me as a career. I'd love to do it all the time. (laughs) and get paid for it but I don't think that's quite the same thing
0: (laughs) you've got some really fascinating and also some really moving writing of your own to share with us later but you're also one of those people who facilitates other people's creativity I mentioned in your bio that you're a teacher Mm. and I wanted to ask you about the creative writing club that you run at your school could you tell us how that started
1: yeah well it's actually the reason that we found each other because yeah your aunt was a colleague of mine at my first school so 10 years ago roughly and she was running a creative writing club and i just kind of nudged my way my way into that because i loved writing and i knew that was something i wanted to do and then i carried it on in well i joined somebody else actually in my second school and they then left and i carried it on myself it's always been a really it's an after school club basically I've never had the experience of people coming year after year. It tends to be um, a group of people and it's quite intense for an academic year. And then they start their GCSE or they start their A-level or whatever it might be. And they don't carry on coming. But yeah, it's really nice. We just we meet after school or before last year, up until this year, we met after school in a classroom. I would think of some kind of stimulus, usually just because of something that I'd read. It's quite self-indulgent, really, okay. if I would read or seen something that day or that week. Then I'd be like, oh, let's write about this. And I'd take biscuits and have a bit of a chat. And then they sit and just write. I always say they have to write silently. They don't have to write, but they have to be silent for 20 minutes, half an hour at least. And then there's always the option to share as well at the end. I've always had a really strict, we just build each other up kind of policy, Mm. which actually... Lockdowns made me think about a little bit more. Not that we shouldn't build each other up, but I think there's room for a bit more editing and critique as well
0: when it does get started back up again. All the best clubs involve biscuits, in my experience. You said to me that the club was particularly successful during lockdown. Could you tell us about that? You mentioned there that that was to do with more of an editing process.
1: Yeah, well, the editing has come about because of definitely because of lockdown. It's like I say, it's always been a small group and sometimes I mean really small, like two students come in for a few weeks. And when lockdown happened, I thought that it was really important to carry it on because there were how many maybe we had four, four or five ish before lockdown. And I thought I can't leave them at home without this outlet because they did. They did really enjoy it. They do really enjoy it. So. I agreed with our SLT at school and with my head of department that we do um, an online version of it. So it all happened. I think I did make a little video that we shared on Twitter and YouTube and things to say creative writing club is still happening if you want to come along, but it all kind of happened virtually online through, we have a platform called show my homework. So classes get set homework through that. And yeah, so I set up this group and it was open to all year groups And we're still not talking fast numbers, but compared to before, I think we got up to about 25 or 30 students who I didn't know I hadn't taught them. They'd never been to creative writing club before. And I just because we tend to be quite introverted, don't we, writers? Mm. So I think the fact that all of a sudden they could do it privately and anonymously, because I did. I suppose that changed as well. I hadn't really thought of that, but obviously they had to think about publishing things online and their names being attached to it. So we shared things within this, um, like a Google classroom, which is all encrypted and password protected. And I just said, you know, if you want to claim your writing during the discussion, you can do, but it was so nice. It was just lovely. We, we met at the same time as we would have done at school and it wasn't audio. It was just a bit like a chat room, I suppose. They signed in with a password and yeah, each week there'd, there'd be a theme that I'd set. So we had like nature, um, the night sky, smiles, portraits. But the editing thing came about, which I think was your original question, because because they had the time. So they, I'd set the task on a Monday, I think, and then we'd meet on a Thursday. So they had those days alongside doing their schoolwork to do the writing. So without me having told them, and, and I hadn't really thought about it until it happened, each week i was presented with maybe 10-15 really lovely beautiful pieces of writing that they'd clearly spent a long time over mm. they have definitely edited them to some extent and so that's that i had this idea then for to get it published it just it was a really different experience and it was really really good and i think it was just interesting that the i assume the face to face aspect was putting
0: some people off and maybe their their name being publicly attached to what they'd written put them off as well I think that's so interesting because at the moment obviously universities are thinking about you know how much teaching to do online and whether students will engage with that and so on and I think like you said one of the potential benefits might be that more introverted students might be more willing to contribute to seminars Mm. if they're not having to actually speak up in front of a group and they can write things down and show it in a chat room or something instead yeah can I ask what kinds of things the students produce in the club? I set like a, a theme each week.
1: They were all brilliant writers, like there were some standout writers, but they all, they all definitely enjoyed it. It's funny, my, my plan is I've got some sixth formers that I'm hoping are going to help me edit this anthology. I kind of kept it as going as a running anthology each, each week. But I think I'm going to find that there's like a downwards trajectory in the tone. Like, I think it gets a bit more bleak as lockdown goes on. And I don't think that's because of the themes I said. I think they were struggling a little bit. I think there was some of the darker, more bleak thoughts were coming out towards the end. I don't mean anything really sinister or serious, but generally um, that kind of tone. But they wrote things, lots of description. So the first few weeks, we just did like nature I've got it here, actually. We did Nature and we did Empty Spaces because obviously at the very start of lockdown, there was this all these fascinating images of cities with nobody in and empty theatres and that kind of thing. But they also produced perfectly formed, succinct short stories that might just be like, I don't know, maybe 300 to 500 words long, roughly. But yeah, really cleverly put together short stories with fascinating um, characters and places sometimes as well
0: I can't wait to share them with people when we get to that point so you've been collating the writing into an anthology like you say to get it published yes yeah. how's that going well it's on hold at the moment while okay. the schools <laughs> open and we're teaching I've got like a
1: manuscript with all the pieces of writing week by week I don't know whether it will I don't know whether I'll edit it mm. I kind of want to keep it how it is because it, because it went through the weeks and it feels to me like this, like a time capsule of what lockdown was like for this group of kids. I'm going to forget the name of the book now, but my friend, I had this idea and my friend sent me that poetry anthology that a teacher and poet put together.
0: The book Rachel is referring to is called England, Poems from a School, and it's edited by Kate Clancy.
1: Yeah, she sent me that and it was really wonderful. I just can't shake the idea that it will be really lovely. So I've got the document. I've spoken to a, a few of members of the leadership at the school and the kids all know about it. And my plan is to get some six formers involved in the editing process as a bit of a learning curve for them. Right. Yeah. For me. And then the plan would be that it would be like an in-school local community kind of thing to start with. But I'm dreaming big because they're writing so good. I don't do this for myself. But I really think
0: it would be something that people would want to read. So I've got big plans. And how do the students feel about seeing their writing in print or the possibility of that happening?
1: Well, they've the there hasn't been any, oh, please don't share my work, which I think when I was their age, I think that's how I would have been. I'd have been like, no, no, no. Or you can publish it anonymously, but please don't put my name to it. They, I think they're more confident than I was at school. And I hope they'll just be really proud. I hope just the fact that they've written it will make them happy and it won't be about a grade or something that a teacher said about it. Just the fact that it exists in the world and people are going to see it, I hope it will make them
0: really proud. And obviously this programme is partly to do with creative processes and the processes of finishing things or not finishing things. Mm. And you described there about how they do the students do 20 minutes of focused, mm. silent, either thinking or writing, Mm. do you think that that kind of structure and maybe an accountability to an authority figure in the room as well (laughs) is key to getting things done? Is that something that a lot of writers outside of school, you know, grown-up writers, do you think would benefit from?
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. But definitely, I can't think of very many occasions where a student has sat in the classroom and said, I can't do it, I've got nothing to say, or I can't finish. I suppose I've never, I've never taken stuff in at the end of the session. I always just say, if you want to take it home and finish it. So I suppose there could be countless of finished pieces of writing out there that I don't ever get to see. I don't know. It's quite often kids that I don't teach. So I don't think there's the same dynamic. They definitely know that it's not a lesson. I always say this isn't a lesson. I'm not going to mark it. You can't do anything right or wrong. If you want to, whatever we're talking about in space or wherever you can do I think they do I think a lot of it is the type of kids that want to do it want to write something and want to finish it and I think like I know I've definitely lost that ability it's such a luxury isn't it when you're a teenager to yeah. lock yourself in your room and you've got nothing else to do you get fed and so you just can get it written I think it's more to do with that than an authority figure I could be wrong
0: yeah, that's come up a few times on this programme, actually speaking to people who do creative stuff outside of their day job, um, as it were, in retirement or as a hobby, and just getting that time to do it. Yeah. Seems to be a really important thing. Do your students know that you write? Yeah, yeah, they do. And do, do you share that with them?
1: Mm, I definitely didn't used to when I started, like when I was a young teacher, so in my early 20s. I can remember kind of quietly scribbling in my planner if there was a moment and I thought I had time to do it, but I would never have shared it with them. Whereas within this last two years, like lots of things I found, I just think, why not? I don't care if they think it's funny or rubbish or whatever. So yeah, I have shared more with them, but obviously it's difficult because I've got to kind of balance how much I'm sharing with them. But yeah, they do know that I write.
0: And you said to me in an email, I think, that you think you must have started hundreds of novels in your time, and I suspect you're not alone. Can I ask why you've started so many and then not finished? What's the process that goes on there?
1: That really, I'm laughing because it just sounds so pretentious to say I've started hundreds of novels. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds much more grand than it is, I suppose. I mean, yeah, like you say, like lots of people, I've had so many ideas. And I've written so many like summaries of stories or I've scribbled down dreams and I've started trying to write opening chapters. But I think just the fear that, well, it's 50-50, absolutely rubbish. And why would anyone want to read it <laughs> is the, the voice in my head that I'm always trying to quiet. And then that thing of not having time and space. But I do feel like now there are excuses. And so more and more I'm telling myself, is that really true? Or actually, could you sit down now and write a few hundred words? And I am finding that I can, which is lovely.
0: Are there any of them that you can remember that you'd ever go back to?
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, I remember one from being really young, but it was such a and it was such a physical thing because it was how I must have maybe been at the start of secondary school, and my dad brought me home a notebook, and it was like this battered. I think the cover had come off it, and it was that lovely yellow old paper with like a blue margin. And I wrote loads and loads and loads in that. Again, I don't know where it is, um, but over quite a long length of time. And that was a plane crash on an island before Lost, before Lost was really You got there first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it was a plane crash on an island. And I can remember being so excited that I had this brilliant idea where my chapters were going to be around all the different characters on the plane and their lives and flashbacks. And...
0: That sounds very good. Yeah, maybe I should go back to it. And how do you feel about that unfinished work? Does it bother you that it's sitting there somewhere?
1: Um, I think I didn't used to think about it at all. I just thought at some point in my life, I just thought I used to do a bit of writing and now I don't anymore. And that's as far as it went. And then more recently, I think I see the value in in just writing as like a like a therapy or a self-help thing, as a mindfulness activity, I'm just throwing out all the cliches about
0: it to do with self care, but it's true though. They're, they might be cliched, but they're true. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's really true. Yeah, I don't really. I've never felt very negatively apart from apart from that voice that says you're just not good enough. So that's why you've not finished. I don't feel. I don't feel worried about it. I think I appreciate the process of it much more now. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also trying to finish things now, which I haven't done before.
0: You mentioned the idea there of writing as having a therapeutic value. Mm. And as I said in your introduction, you started writing again after a bit of a gap when you were diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, So thank you firstly for sharing that because that's really personal stuff. So I really appreciate that. That's okay. And putting pen to paper obviously, especially in that kind of circumstance can be Mm -hmm. as at least as difficult as actually finishing and publishing. Have you reflected at all on why you felt an impulse to start writing again in response to that diagnosis?
1: Mm, Well, it was, it wasn't my idea. And it was a really definite moment. So it it was a big gap as well. I think I probably stopped writing when I finished uni. And, you know, as soon as coming into the world of work, I just didn't find the time after that I always thought that I would do at some point and didn't so I did completely stop apart from these occasional scribbles at during school time but then when I was diagnosed I went straight into counselling I knew I would need some kind of help to get through it all yeah and I think in one of our really early discussions my counsellor who was so wonderful she just said um You know, people usually have a coping strategy when life is difficult. So what's your coping strategy? And I didn't really have to think about it. I said, oh, I just I write things down if I'm struggling. Mm. Uh, When I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s, I I always just wrote. I kept a diary. And so she said, oh, well, you should do that. And I was was like, I haven't got time. And then she pointed out, well, you have got time now because you're not going to be going to work. So I treated my, gave myself lots of cancer treats during the last i've pretty much stopped now i'm trying to stop but (laughs) one of my first cancer treats was a little chromebook and yeah i just she gave me a few tasks to start with she kind of she said you know do some brainstorms about how you're feeling and that kind of thing but quite quickly maybe as soon as i got it i decided i'm gonna blog i'm gonna i set up a wordpress account and started writing about the process of being diagnosed what was a few weeks in um but yeah so it was quite a definite moment and I was maybe I would have come to that conclusion myself but I felt really grateful that she reminded me that that's what I used to do and so I could do it again.
0: You've been kind enough to agree to read some extracts from some of the writing that you've been doing over the past few years Mm -hmm. in response to that and the first is a piece called My Second Life could you just tell us a little bit about it first before you do the reading?
1: Yeah, I haven't actually read this out loud, so I really don't know how it's going to (laughs) go. I'll have to see. But I, yeah, so I set up this WordPress account and I probably spent as long, which you'll be able to tell from the quality of the writing, thinking about the colours of my blog (laughs) and the images that I was going to choose. It's
0: important stuff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I suppose that goes back to me definitely having a reader, like an audience in my mind. So this... Blog was the first one that I wrote. And the image that I put with it was actually a selfie that I took in this. It was a store cupboard um, in the hospital. And I'd, it was the point where I hadn't been diagnosed, but we knew that something bad was coming because we'd not been sent out into the waiting room. They were like hushed voices and you need to sit here quietly. Um, so, yeah, I took a really nice picture of myself, <laughs> um, but I got like the biopsy. Um, they put like a plaster over where the biopsy was, and you could just see that because it was quite high up. So yeah, and this is what I wrote. I'm very self-conscious about it because it hasn't been edited very much at all. So it's called My Second Life. A few months ago, I read something online that stuck with me. It's been on my mind a lot. Someone had either referred to or described the idea of our second life. When I can find the link, I will add it here, but very briefly, it was the idea that the way we live our life changes at one pivotal moment. We will almost all experience it, and it splits our life into two parts, before and after. The moment or event will be different for everyone, but it is the point at which we suddenly understand and believe the fact of our own mortality. Before it happens, I think anyone could tell themselves that they know they will die, But when a doctor sits opposite you and your husband and says, unfortunately, it is a breast cancer, there is a massive physical, mental, emotional change in you that I now think is the start of your second life. This is how it has been for me anyway. Maybe my husband and the people who love me too. I don't know. But I know that my life is completely different now, even if it looks exactly the same from the outside. At the time this photo was taken, I felt warm, sore, scared, but safe in what basically amounted to a storage room in our local NHS hospital. This was the point at which we realised that bad news was imminent. The lump in my breast was not a cyst. Fog veiled my mind from this point onwards, but it was so dense as we left this room and heard it is breast cancer, that when I look back, it seems as though there was an actual physical change in me. This was pretty much the moment that my second life began. Six weeks ago. I'm writing this on Friday, the 6th of October, 5th of October, sorry, 6am-ish. Today is significant because I hope it's the day that they will tell me how the next six months to a year will look. Edit, we are none the wiser. NHS cuts and strains mean that my doctors are still waiting for one more result before they can decide my treatment plan. Up until yesterday afternoon, I haven't really known how worried I should be about my health, and my physical health anyway. I don't know who I'm writing this for myself, my children, my family and friends, anyone who might want to read about a 34-year-old woman finding out she has breast cancer, maybe all of the above. But I am writing it because I want to record what has happened over the last six weeks. My second life has started.
0: You you mentioned just before you read that that you haven't read it aloud. Mm. How does it feel to be to be doing that now?
1: I think it feels quite nice. It felt, yeah, it felt nice because it definitely feels in the past now I mean it's it's two years like it's almost exactly two years I think since I was writing that but I do I do also cringe because like I found myself like students do kind of editing it a little bit as I was reading it because you know there's clumsy syntax and this is before I could blame chemo fog <laughs> and just exhaustion and tiredness which I do blame for lots of my later writing.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned editing there. I was going to ask you about that. So the subject matter is obviously really intimate and honest. Mm. And when I read it, the first time you sent me an extract, I felt that its unfinishedness Mm. kind of contributes to that in the sense as though it it doesn't feel massively edited. It feels very immediate. Do you think that further editing, either by you or by someone else, do you think that would put up more of a barrier between you or the readers?
1: Yeah, I think... It's the funny thing about the nature of it because my original plan was that I'd kind of upload these blogs weekly like because I read them when I I was diagnosed I read lots of blogs that people shared on Instagram or on WordPress so when I was first writing them that's what I thought would happen in which case obviously I would have (laughs) hopefully I would have edited the grammatical and typos and spellings and things but the the structure of it and the imagery that might pop in I would have left. And then I suppose it's the longer I've left it the more confused I get about whether I should just leave them as they are, but publishing them now would be strange because they're not immediate, it's not I can't remember exactly how I felt at that time. So I suppose I've just got to trust it that that's that I was being honest. So yeah, I don't think I, I wouldn't edit them more than just to tidy them up a little bit. But it's hard to do
0: that, especially as an English teacher. I find it really really hard. You explained a little bit, actually, in that piece, what you mean by my second life. Mm. Could you maybe just cover what that phrase means to you in a bit more detail? I think I'm remembering it right, that I did read that before
1: I found my lump and was diagnosed at all. I read about this idea of a second life. And I don't know if it's a really, if everybody already knows that, if everyone's already read, read about it, but I hadn't. And it was whether or not my body was actually trying to tell me something. I think about quite often because it was on my mind that my life had just been really easy, pretty much really easy. I'd been really lucky, got married, had my children, had a nice job, had all my I've got all, had all my grandparents when I was diagnosed. I lost my grandma the, the day after I was diagnosed, which was not very nice. Oh, I'm sorry, that's okay. Um, but yeah, it was on my mind, and I even remember saying to somebody. I wonder how I'm going to cope when something really bad happens to me. And so when I read this phrase, this second life idea and read a little bit about it, I can remember thinking, oh, that, that definitely hasn't happened to me yet. I know I'm going to die at some point in the future, but I don't really, really feel it. And so the bit I do remember from writing that blog was the description of that, like really physical feeling, like I was completely different in my body, because all of a sudden someone had sat there and told me that I had this really serious illness. And we did know quite quickly that it wasn't going to get me there and then. It was treatable. And as far as anyone knows now, it's all gone and it's fine. But yeah, it was definitely a wake-up moment. And then in that second part of your life, which I now understand much more, and I have to remind myself of it, Don't I'm not like walking around with not a care in the world, appreciating everything in better than everybody else. But yeah, it definitely brings with it a different perspective and a new appreciation for everything. I overuse it a bit, but that idea of not sweating the small stuff, just
0: yeah.
1: letting things go. And things like this as well, I, would, I wouldn't I would have done this before. I wouldn't have said, yeah, go on, I'll talk on a radio programme I'd have been far too worried about sounding like a dick, which I might do. <laughs> but it doesn't not matter. at all.
0: I'm very grateful. It's interesting that you said that about, appreciating things and doing things that you wouldn't normally do because there's a couple of people close to me like a lot of people who have had Mm. similar experiences to you and both of them have said that they are now very similar things they're now more appreciative of small things and much braver when it comes to seizing the day for stuff Mm. is that the kind of thing that you've experienced as well
1: yeah in my own in my own little way yeah like I haven't bungee jumped or traveled the world or finished my novel and sent it to loads of people but in my own little way I just yeah I wouldn't have said Christine sent me a message about this and I just said yes straight away and I know that I wouldn't have done before I wouldn't have been as open as I sometimes am now about things I'm definitely a talker I've always been a talker but (laughs) I was brought up to be quite private about personal health kind of things and I don't see that as being the the right or the best way to be anymore. So in that way, I do seize the day. The, if somebody says, should we go to the pub? I say, yeah, rather than no. I was a bit of a flake before, I think. this, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have been someone who might think, oh, I'm a bit too tired or that makes me feel a bit nervous, where it's definitely made me feel life's too short.
0: My second life is in the form, it's quite long, and it's in the form of fragments describing particular moments in time. And I felt that the results was that I'm almost kind of standing next to the speaker how much did you think about the form was that a deliberate choice or is that did it just come naturally yeah I
1: think it I think it just came naturally it's definitely I'm not a planner really so I didn't think about it beforehand I suppose it links to that idea of it being unfinished as well because I, I can't remember if I sent you the full version or not but there's a, a section at the end where a few times I went back to it and tried to fill out the bullet points but it was too hard and I couldn't find the words to explain the later moments in that day. So that was conscious, I suppose, because I wanted to record it, but yeah, I couldn't um I couldn't kind of find the words or the way to link it all together. So I just ended up doing like a, a list, which is I suppose the ultimate fragmented
0: style. And in my second life if you also address the reader a couple of times and You said a moment ago when you were speaking about having a sense of writing to an audience. Mm. Was there someone or a group of people in particular who you had in mind that you imagined you were addressing?
1: Well, I suppose because I had the blog idea, I swung between thinking I'll send it just, I'll share it just with family and friends or I'll share it with anybody and you know let it be found by people that might be going through a similar thing because like I said I got so much from reading similar blogs from other people that were my kind of age and going through the same thing but also and this probably links to that Caesar Day thing as well and the idea of not worrying about something being unfinished is that I had my kids in my mind and my family because all of a sudden as well as knowing that I'm not going to be here, it's also the idea that there's every, there's, well, for all of us, there's the chance that we're going to not be here to explain all the things we want to explain to our children. So I think as they went on, and then when I started writing my, I don't like to call it a novel because it really isn't one, but it kind of is in my mind, <laughs> when I started writing that as well, yeah, I've got my I've got my kids in mind, really, as, you know, the people, the potential future readers of what I write.
0: And I think that probably links to the next piece that you're going to read from, mm. this idea of explaining things to your children or writing to your children. The piece is called "The Responsibility of Being a Cancer Patient." Mm. Could you maybe just tell us a little bit about the piece before you read it?
1: Yeah, so this one I wrote just before I was having my surgery, and it was like a, it was a big operation that I had. And so I had to think about, I'd never had general anaesthetic before, so I had to think about the potential risks and that kind of thing. And, yeah, I just started to feel this, like, pressure of the fact that what I was doing and what might happen to me was going to have, like, a ripple effect on so many so many other people, but, you know, the key people in my life. Um, so that's what I was writing about. It's a funny disjointed style, again, because... I started it and then went back to it, and I think I didn't. I don't think I sent you the whole, the whole thing because as part of it, I wrote little letters to my kids and my husband and my family as well, which are obviously this is personal, but but even more personal, too personal to share. The responsibility of being a cancer patient. I wrote this blog title a week or so ago, and I can't really remember what I was thinking of writing. Tomorrow is finally the day that I get checked in to the hospital for my surgery. The two months leading up to Wednesday have been horrific, vivid, happy, sunny, full of friends and I love views and they have been the most terrifying of my life. I am so scared of the operation, the general anaesthetic, the pain, the drains, the catheter, the shuffling, but I also can't wait because I have a cancerous tumour slowly growing in my breast and on Wednesday the surgical team will cut it out and build a new breast using the fat and skin from my belly. My left breast feels like a lumpy, hard, alien limpet stuck to my body. I won't miss it. I've grown to really hate my sunken, turned-down nipple, biopsy bruises and marble-like lump under my skin. But, and writing this feels exactly the same as the counselling sessions I have had with my counsellor over the last eight weeks or so, really difficult to say. Is any of it worth it if something goes wrong and I leave my family? Would they be okay? This is the bit of the whole thing that I'm so scared to think about, let alone write down. Once or twice, my husband has asked me to imagine that our roles were reversed. I can't. I mean, I can, but the big brick walls in my mind are closed tightly around that thought. Similarly, the effect that all this could have on my children in the long term is more than I can bear to think about. And then what it might mean genetically, how do I raise my daughter to be aware of her breasts and her body without making her terrified of cancer, because like I said, it is absolutely terrifying. I think this was part of what I was thinking when I typed the title. I feel responsible for all of my family and friends, as though I have a knowledge that could potentially save their lives if I do a good job of passing it on. And in one way or another, I feel responsible for the anxiety that some people will feel
0: over the next few days. Thank you for that. That's okay. The piece opens with a really honest reflection that you wrote the title down and then returned to it later yeah. when you weren't sure what you meant by it originally. Mm. Was that process of starting something and then working on it a little bit later rather than immediately something that you did quite a lot at the time?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: Going back to the editing thing,
1: that's I'd forgotten the, how momenta, momentous, how monumental that task could be. I mean, it took me a long time to recover from the general anaesthetic and I was groggy during that time. I couldn't really read. And then when I was having my chemotherapy, I wanted to record it all. So I wrote blogs about how I felt before chemotherapy, what things I did before chemotherapy. Then I wrote about how it felt having it. I wrote about having my hair shaved and how all that felt. And I've only, only because of doing this, started looking at them recently, um, speaking to you, I mean. so And some of them, you can really feel the like the tiredness and the exhaustion and the fogginess. <laughs> so I definitely was in the habit of, if just if I got that feeling that I wanted to write something down, I would quickly maybe write the title or scribble some notes down. You kind of have this three-week cycle with chemotherapy, so you have a really awful week, and then, if you're lucky, a couple of good weeks. But often in the awful week, that's when I'd be thinking of things even though I was unable to write them down. So I'd sometimes make notes or scribble stuff in that week and then go back to it afterwards. So yeah, it was a common thing and it definitely carried on the fragmented feel of my writing. And it's all very much stream of consciousness. So
0: I suppose it's bound to be like that. It's interesting that you said it was stream of consciousness there because I was going to say that it does such a really good job of giving a really vivid picture Mm. of what you were going through. Reading it back now do you feel as though you've captured your experience or does it feel as though there's a gap between what you wrote and what your experience was there's definitely a gap
1: and I suppose it's that it's the missing description so I tended I think I quite deliberately was tried to be as blunt as I could and not be kind of I've never had felt the need to romanticise isn't the right word but I haven't really wanted to elaborate too much on it. And then, yeah, maybe that would give a more honest reflection. It's really hard. Like I've always written diaries about how I feel, but actually getting that across to somebody else, the only way I know how to do it is just to be quite direct and forward. I don't think I've got that gift of language to be able to colourfully, beautifully describe it in any other way. So I think I've given you both answers there, like, yes yeah, it doesn't, no, it doesn't. I don't know. I might have to come down on, I'm not sure.
0: I'm not sure is definitely a legitimate answer. Thank you. <laughs> and as for the gift of being able to convey in writing, I think you definitely do have that, like, it's incredibly moving and incredibly vivid. Oh, thank you. The piece, just turning to the content of the piece, mm. it seems to be a mixture of wanting to get the operation done, mm. concern, and concerned about something going wrong. And you write about having brick walls around your mind. Was it easier to write about than to talk about? Yes, definitely.
1: I've always found that, I think. In the first instance, anyway. So I can often keep things in until I've written them down. Although I suppose, like like I said, this is the first time that I'd had something really big that I needed to talk about. So, yeah, definitely the things that I wrote in that blog that I just read... I hadn't had that discussion with anyone until, actually until like the day before or the day of the operation with my husband, I said, I should just let you know, I've written this stuff down, I sent it to him dramatically, just in case, here it is, but I was okay. So it was fine.
0: I found it really moving that you write about feeling responsible for your friends and family in terms of both passing on knowledge that could help them and also in terms of them feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was so incredibly selfless to be thinking about that under the circumstances. And it struck me that it's also quite a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. to put on yourself. And it would be very understandable if there were moments when you said to yourself in your own mind that you just needed to focus on yourself and your own well-being. Did that ever happen? And was that something that you wrote about as well?
1: It's funny because I see it as a selfish anytime I'm writing, I see that as a selfish kind of thing to do. So me thinking about other people, (laughs) I turned that into something for myself by writing it down. So I did feel really worried for them. And I did feel responsible. And I have this other sense of responsibility that I know what a breast cancer lump feels like, and I know what you need to look out for. And so sometimes I think I ought to be writing and sharing that more with friends so that if they have it, they'll know what to do or you know, I, or or that I can share a bit about how it feels so that other people might understand something a little bit more. And I'm building up to that. But, no, writing is definitely my selfish thing to do. And I suppose if I was the most selfish writing... Selfish isn't the right word, but you know what I mean, concentrating on myself, doing something for me. I don't think I've written about it, but I suppose when I started writing a bit of
0: fiction, which I hadn't done since uni, that was probably... Well, that was definitely just for me. Could I ask about what that fiction is? Is that your next project that you have in mind?
1: I started alongside writing my blog. I started this novel. <laughs> so it's been it, this is like the longest length of time that a story's been going around in my head, um even though I, really the number of words I've written is embarrassing. but i've I've carried on with it and it's but it's a kind of domestic noir story drawing on my own experiences but also a bit of a cross-generational look at this house that has been lived in since the 1920s and I'm kind of working on the story of the first family that lived in it and how it runs alongside the family that live in it in these decades it's called the leaves I think it's a really good story (laughs) yeah definitely something to be proud of but it's just very early days but the most exciting thing is that and I suppose it's interesting for the program because it's to do with it being unfinished and unpublished is I've met a critique partner who she approached me through Instagram because we she saw that I was a reader and she was writing and so we've got this like weekly um we just share what we've written that week and we do a little bit of editing for each other and a bit of feedback and I found that so helpful in keeping
0: it going that's been really good that sounds like a great system yeah it's nice you just mentioned there that the number of words you were writing was embarrassing. And I just wanted to say that I once, a while ago, actually a few years ago, I tweeted, oh, you know, how many words should I be writing every day? Mm. And the best answer that I got was just someone who said some.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true. And that I've kind of been thinking about that with, um, well, with, for myself, but also with Creative Writing Club, that like, the idea of regularly writing for me is more important than how many words I write katie my critique partner said we were talking about targets and she's got a really strict word count target in mind she wants to get to a certain point by christmas whereas my target is to keep looking at my blogs with a view to possibly edit them uh, publish them and to just keep writing so i don't want to stop now that i've started quite regularly writing over the last year or so so yeah i agree with whoever tweeted that
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much um, for coming on today and for sharing your writing with us and all of your thoughts about the process of writing and your experiences of that.
1: Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. I hope it's been interesting.